Ben, if I wanted to hear a podcast between you and Justin Koo talking about life, love, and other mysteries, where would I go to find this podcast? You would definitely go first to the internet. If you don't know how to use the internet, you'd open your web browser, Google Chrome, uh-huh. Mozilla Google Firefox, Chrome? something of that sort. Safari? And then you would go to Justin Koo's Instagram, which is at jkoo. And then there's a link... <laughs> I don't know, I think. That's probably the worst way to find the podcast, I would imagine. Like, you could do that on your phone, Oh, right? Yeah. These people are never going to find the podcast, and that's cool because that means you probably won't get canceled because no one's going to listen. <laughs> it's crazy is that th- all three of us do podcasts and we can't figure out what to say. Well, hey guys, this has been very helpful. I'm excited <laughs> to, to, to listen to the Dusty Boys podcast. Count me in. Welcome back to The Move, or Vibing Through the Book, 10 Minutes at a Time. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and in today's episode, we're talking about that one time in the Bible where two sisters have a baby-making contest with the same man. If you're wondering, what in the world are we looking at? We're looking at Genesis chapter 30, verses 1 through 24. I'm hanging out in the same office together in the flesh. In the same office, in the flesh. With Actually, this is the office of, if you didn't know, Pastor Jonathan Leonardo, who's now an internationally... Uh, uh, international selling author. I don't know what the right word is, but is that true? Is is your book now international? I mean, somebody in Canada bought it, sure. Oh, we do have a friend who put, uh, bought one from Australia. Yeah, there you go. So It's international. It's international. You've I'm an international viral, selling author. <laughs> We're in the same office. Maybe same uh, office. we'll get to talk about that a lot more in the future. Yeah, that's because I'm, I'm Pastor Jonathan, and soon you're going to be Deacon Koo. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that's that 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 might be that I think out of the list that you gave yeah, me, that's probably the most accurate. So long story short, we'll talk more about this probably in a future episode yeah. as things develop and as we have more to share with you guys. Um, Emily and I moved to Hawaii. I, I'm sure I announced it in kind of or teased it in previous episodes, but if if this is the first time you're hearing it, this is where we are. We're we're living in Hawaii to be a part of the Kailua Seventh Day Adventist Church. And you told me not too long ago that if I was going to be a part of this congregation, I had to serve in some capacity, mm-hmm. and I might end up being a deacon. Yeah. All right. Well, that that's that. <laughs> Fun stuff. Fun stuff. Um, I'm sure a lot of questions about that. But anyways, um, today we're talking about a really interesting passage. I don't know that uh, this is kind of a narrative that I've heard focused mm. on a lot when mm. I was growing up. The idea that two sisters are trying to have as many babies with the same man. That's just a really <laughs> weird thing to happen. And I was telling you behind the scenes that this is the part of the Bible where for me, it feels like everything gets really, really confusing. Not just because of the sisters having a baby making contest with the same man, yep. but just so many more characters have been introduced. Uh, it hasn't been terribly hard to follow along with Abraham, for example, just one person. And there's, you know, there's seemingly these adjacent characters to Abraham, but now it's like son after son after son after son, and it's coming from two different sisters, yeah. and the sisters have their servants. It's just like it's a really big, convoluted mess. And I'm wondering, maybe messy is the intended point of the chapter? I don't well, know. A lot of this chapter, I think, at least the way I follow the story, is that in Genesis, by Genesis 30, now you have a growth of the family. You have Jacob, you have Rachel, you have Leah, and there's this growth that's happening. And remember that the primary character is always God. It's not so much the characters that are actually moving the action along forward, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I think that we fall into the trap of trying to categorize all the characters and they did this, they did that, 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 while we missed the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is Um, that now, from what began, at least 
in the immediacy was Jacob ran away from his brother Esau because he had tricked his brother Esau to get the birthright from his father Isaac, who also had a brother named Ishmael, who came from a mother who was given to Abraham by his wife, Sarah, this wife, this woman being the servant Hagar. I feel right now like you're flexing your doctoral or not your your, your no, advanced degrees because That's not- even though I've been I've been hosting 50 plus episodes of the move, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of things, and I'll be honest, it's hard to keep it all together. Well, no, just, just think about the pairs here, okay. right? You think all about right. think about Jacob and his brother Esau. Got that one. That one's a good one. Isaac and his brother Ishmael. Okay. Right? And then you go back and you think about Abraham. Right. Mm-hmm. And then this thing with Sagar, uh, Sagar, <laughs> with Sarah and Hagar. Yeah. Right. It's just these pairs at work that are mucking it all up and troublesome. And so you see now two sisters, Rachel and Leah, are at beef and at war in a similar way that Jacob was with Esau. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And now Leah and Rachel, like Rachel gives Jacob, uh, her servant. And he's like, here, take her in the same way that Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, Uh took from Sarah Hagar. So it's just the story telling you, yo, it's happening again. Uh Right? Uh Uh-huh. Jacob tries to get a family started with Rachel, gets played and gets Leah, and God chooses Leah to be the mother of Judah from whom we know all the way down the line, the line of Judah will come so that God is at work in the midst of these people bickering and fighting for supremacy and positioning. And God's going to bring his faithfulness about even in the midst of all this nonsense. And we're supposed to catch a little bit of the nonsense by seeing the intentional repetition of sibling rivalry over and over and over again, because it's not going to stop here. Hmm. It's going to move forward in Jacob's children, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It, it got me thinking about how a lot of times people will, like say people who are skeptical of the scripture yeah. as being a, an inspired text in whatever way that, that it's inspired. Yeah. They'll have uh, these accusations about the text. Oh, it's just, you know, this it's, it's made up, it's man-made, yeah. it's just this, it's just an attempt, it's a power play, all these things. Like there's yeah. this very skeptical read of what religion is. Yeah. And I love some of the responses highlight the fact that, no, the narrative is not very flattering to the quote-unquote chosen individuals. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and this text seems to highlight it's it's the same mess over and over, over and, over, and again. over again and when we look at it as though that the humans were the primary characters yeah. then it's just like no that makes zero sense because they're 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 showing all of their dirty laundry yeah. for the world to see there's nothing yeah. self-congratulatory about this yeah. they're screwing up over and over and over again yeah and and what you see again is the faithfulness of a god to those who are marginalized, those on the outside and how he brings them on the inside. I mean, the way he came to Abraham, Mm -hmm. the way I like to imagine it is that he comes to Abraham in the middle of the night, right? right? And he comes as something, as as an embodiment that Abraham can actually speak to, Mm -hmm. right? And he takes Abraham and says, hey man, I'm going to build a nation out of you. And, And the way that God comes, he doesn't come to Abraham in this great and awesome revelation from the sky. He comes as just 
a person who speaks to another person, but says, I have this promise for you, right? And again, remember personhood, not that, not in the smallness of it, but that he's in it. A person. He's a the person. He's a, yeah, yeah. Right. And so that when when he comes, the way he comes to me just seems to be so humble. Mm-hmm. And he comes in a way of then as you watch the narrative, as you listen to the narrative, as you think about it, he's constantly serving to the ends of the promise he made to Abraham, even in the midst of of Abraham himself and Abraham's family trying to mess it up. Yeah. Like they're actively undermining. And the same thing happens. It's the sibling rivalry. It's the jockeying for position. It's the need for uh, 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 maybe material goods. You see this with Jacob where he's a deceiver and he is trying to attain material goods. And in attaining material goods, he puts strategery at play, right? He has the strategic plan that if you we followed thus far he deployed against laban right and now it seems and and that strategy is something that he used against his brother esau and now he tried to use it with his wives with leah and rachel and he tried to make it happen with rachel but yet god in his faithfulness according to the promise he made to abraham and serving the marginalized Mm -hmm. him being the person takes leah does this great work, but while serving the marginalized, he doesn't forget the other, right? Right, The other's other. And from Rachel is going to come Joseph, right? Yeah. So from, watch this, Rachel, Joseph, Leah, Judah, Hagar, Ishmael, Sarah, Isaac, right? Mm-hmm. You you seeing? Every, every person has someone that God is, inter- every one of those four characters has someone that God has directly in, intervened to make sure that they're not lost along the journey. And is God is still doing a thing of selecting the, the least of the least, the unloved. I think it was interesting in this text, how one, one of the, the wives is considered the loved one yep. and the other one's considered unloved. And yet it's, if I read it, Craig, it's the unloved who God chooses. It's and the forgotten. It's the overlooked. And remember, this is in contrast with what we talked about with Jacob I loved, Esau mm. I hated, okay. the loved versus the unloved, right? And huh. what the characteristics of God seeing someone he hates. And remember, that's not a maximal animus or maximal antagonism. It is the uh, lack of his promise and fulfillment being able to work through this person while being able to work in another. Right? The distinction between right. Jacob and Esau that we talked about in an earlier episode. But you see this love unloved language right Mm -hmm. and what motivates the love and unlovedness where for from god's perspective towards jacob and esau it's you won't believe my promise i can't work through you right right whereas from rachel and leah jacob is i can't actually fulfill what i want and take from you or have the satisfaction in you i'll discard you i'll Mm. discard the other one and god's like no you can't discard people like that you can't Mm. discard leah like that Right, mm-hmm. you can't. Like, so, so God's kind of trying to. There's like a small lesson here. There's obviously the big narrative of what God is doing and how He's working His promise, but there's yeah. also this little micro lesson where He's like, "Listen, the the one that you're despising, I want you to realize that the person who's despised among you, the person who's overlooked, the person who's rejected or unloved, yeah. that's the person that has." Uh, a, a tremendous amount of potential, a tremendous amount of value. Maybe the value that you actually want is in those individuals that you overlook. And there's this kind of lesson like treat people well because they're valuable. Yeah. And you see this, I mean, and again, just a contrast with Jacob and Esau, where from 
Esau, Esau discarded the benevolence of God's blessing towards him Mm -hmm. and minimized it to the point where he just threw it away for a bowl of lentils, Mm -hmm. right? So it's in this regard, like, Jacob, I've loved Esau, I've hated, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas Leah and Rachel, although Leah is given given to Jacob as a sacred duty because marriage, Right. right? He just discards her. And this also serves to highlight the covenant faithfulness of God is that mm-hmm. God is dealing with worse, if you can understand my language, he's dealing with worse than Leah's mm-hmm. when he's dealing with these humans. Mm-hmm. But because of his covenant relationship that he's made according to his promise, he's not just going to discard them and manifest unlove towards them. He continues mm-hmm. to be faithful while Jacob demonstrates a bias for one over the other. And God's like, no, no, no. Mm. no 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 that's not what we're doing here right and so and you see again you see this with sarah and hagar right Mm. where he blesses hagar in light of uh her being despised and so and you again these themes these see these these themes are seeded in these narratives and then how they play out for us is when you see something like um james when james talks about um you see a rich person coming to your church. Right. right? You give them the best seats, honor them, say, oh, we're so glad that you're here, but you overlook the... Despise the marginals. How can how dare you make these sort of um, mm-hmm. these distinctions? And it's very interesting to note in light of this, right? Mm-hmm. Ready for this? You know that the New Testament, there is no book by the name of James in truth. Mm-hmm. You know what the name of that book is in Greek? What is it? Jacob. Interesting. Huh. Jacob. Okay. Uh, that's the name of the book. It's in Greek, it's actually Jacob. Right. There's a whole history as to why it becomes James. Can't get into it. Okay. Right. But it's, it. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's James. And the book James then deals with this division between the two. Yeah. Huh. So it's interesting the way this chapter comes to a conclusion. There's this theme of the overlooked and the unloved, this idea. And yet there's so many sons that have been born. And yet you and I were talking about like, there's really only two that you got to pay attention to. You can kind of overlook the rest of them, but we're we're really going to be seeing how the story kind of zones in on, on two primary, two, two characters, two of the brothers in particular. Well, it's very much right. I I would, I know I said that and I said that kind of in passing as a throwaway, but um, there are two that are certainly the key players, right? But all the rest of them have a part in the story, right? And it's kind of like uh, Avengers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Each Avenger had their standalone movie, mm-hmm. but at some point, all the stories of the Avengers came together in these two big time figures, and wow. it was either Cap or Iron Man, right? These were the okay. two that were, um that had the greatest story arcs. If you follow, if y'all know Marvel movies, you follow like the 10 year, what is it? Phase one or whatever. Right, we're saga. talking about civil war here. Yeah. That they, and civil war is a hinge right. to get to, um, to, to end game. Um, spoiler alert. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Right? Come on. Uh, Tony does. <laughs> um, and so you have these two figures, but the rest of them are very, very important because the rest of them have something to say in the grand narrative. Right. Mm. So, as it stands right now, yes, Joseph and Judah, but you have you're gonna have to pay very close attention to uh Reuben uh-huh. and Simeon. Okay. Because Reuben and Simeon, what they do and how they do plays into uh 
Levi's reputation down the line. Got it. And they, so all of it okay. has something to do in the same way where like, even though we didn't pay much attention to Ant-Man, he still had a role to play. Sure. Right. <laughs> sure. You say you, you want to know what Wasp and Ant-Man and all these Got characters it. are doing. That That's at play here. So, and so, yeah, Genesis has this beautiful tapestry, this repetition, these images. Yeah. So, so if the trend we have seen so far is there's this rinse and repeat, there's this reoccurring of the narrative, there's these two at play that are constantly bickering and fighting between each other, it stands to reason that these two brothers that are standing out at the end of the chapter are going to start seeing kind of a, a C in the middle of the two of them. They're going to start parting directions. People are going to start choosing sides. There's going to be some fighting and bickering. A whole lot of people are going to end up with mud on their faith, face, and yet God, I'm going to say, is going to come through and it's going to be faithful. Yeah, there's going to be, and one thing that you always see is there's going to be sex and babies. <laughs> Straight up. Go. There's there always go. sex and babies. Like, you know, um, Sarah said to Abraham, take Hagar, mm-hmm. then uh, Isaac and Rebecca, he's comforted, right? What do you think that means? <laughs> uh, I mean, at least it has that shade. And then he has children and then Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob sees his girls, but sleeps with the wrong one, and then has all these babies. And then that that's going to play a key role in the story because uh, Judah is going to have some liaisons, and Joseph is going to be tempted with liaisons. Oh, right? interesting. And then ultimately, the family reproduces to the point that they become... Whole nation, numerous and great. And if you know the story, at some point in the nation's history, they then split again into two. Hmm. All right, two brothers at war again from the north and the south, Israel and Judah. So anyway, all right, it all starts here, man. Like there is an end game, but these are the first stories that you got to pay attention to. All right, well, we'll log them in the back of our mind. We'll 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 be moving through the narrative together, and you know, when there's that hyperlink, when we get to see how one story influences the other, we'll let you guys know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Jonathan, what's on your desk right now? It's my uh, the Move season three cheat sheet. At least one of them. It's funny because you know, yes, you go to school, yes, you study, and you do all the things, and that's all that's all well and good and and great. But uh, you've you've had a little bit of a, a an aid, a spark notes, if you will. I don't I know do. if you had. Did you? Uh, maybe I'm asking in an insulting way, but I'm gonna ask it insultingly anyways. Did they have spark notes when you were in school? Do yes, you know what of spark course. Notes yes, is? yes, you, I know what spark notes. Did are. They have color television back then. This fool. <laughs> There's a Spark Notes for the narrative, and it's a book. And I don't know, maybe some of y'all might want to check it out. It's yeah. called John Sailhammer, uh, the Pentateuch as narrative. John Sailhammer is an amazing theologian and exegete. Uh, he was formerly the uh, professor of Old Testament and Semitic languages at Trinity Evangelical School in uh, Deerfield. I think it's Deerfield. Yeah, Deerfield, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And he has just an amazing insight into how the text is this beautiful artwork. It's a piece of art. It's literary beauty and genius, but how the narrative is carried along through the nuancing Mm -hmm. of that uh, literary genius. So um, he highlights things like the um, repetitions of the text, how the text is uh, structured in a particular way, and how the, t- the text is very, very intentional. So every single word, there's intentionality. So if you want to get into a deeper sort of very cool 
view of the Hebrew text and how every single word matters and how every character actually matters and how they all layer one into another. Um, anything by this man is fantastic. John so Selhammer. doesn't sound like the kind of thing that I should read to Mateo before bed. Uh, no, I mean, this one is cool because it just, you know, it breaks down. Um, is it like a commentary style? Yeah, it's commentary style. Yeah. Very readable, this one. And it goes through the Pentateuch, right? So, you, you know, when I was kind of first really starting to pay attention towards spiritual things, like if you want to use conversion language, when I first had my conversion experience uh-huh. and I would sit in church and I'd listen to these men and women speak with just such wisdom and insight, I was always like, man, I bet you when they're sitting at the table studying their Bible with their cup of Roma, that the Holy Spirit just downloads this information. They just have these insights about how this, and and yes, there there are absolutely moments. It's like actually that, right? the, you're wrong because it's a chemical property of the Roma. <laughs> That's right? exactly what it is. Some people who are not in the know are like, "What is Roma?" Check it out. Um, there there are some. I'm sure that there are absolutely moments where the Holy Spirit does give you these like key insights that are unlocked. But also, like what I've learned along the way is just there's just a lot of like studying and hard work and people and and, and what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to highlight is the value of community, the value of bouncing ideas, doing things like this, where maybe you do it in person, you have community, we have conversations like this, but also just reading books, tossing ideas around and just being able to learn from the wisdom of others. Yeah. One of the things that's very helpful is the discovery of design, right? As you, there's a certain discovery Mm-hmm. As you read the text, because of its design, the way it's intended, this is why I would recommend if you really want to get into some deep Bible study that you use translations that attempt to be a more word for word translation. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the more dynamic translations take liberties that probably aren't in the text, but are read into the text because of theological presuppositions. Um the discovery of design is that as you read the book and as you read it intentionally and as you read it with a certain amount of rhythm and regularity, the design itself communicates uh, um, an amount of data and information that then allows you to contrast and compare that which came before it so that meaning emerges. Let me say that again. The data, the, the, the design of the text communicates data, information that allows you to compare the stories and contrast them so that then meaning actually comes out. I'll give you one quick example that if I were to ask you to tell me about that story where there's a woman at a well and then there's immediately a marriage, you might tell me about the woman and Jesus and the six or seven husbands that she had. Yeah, you might tell me that or you could tell me about when Moses went to the well or when Jacob was at the well or when the right answer is which one. Exactly. Why? Because these the design is that they repeat themselves Mm -hmm. so that when you get to the woman at the well, you have all of these in the back. Mm -hmm. And that intentional design and repetition is meant to allow you to contrast and compare so that meaning emerges. For instance, the woman at the well in the book of John with Jesus, how many husbands has she had? Five. The one she's living with then is not her husband. And yet who is the one in front of her? Numbers, numbers, right? And so then that symbolism, because of the design, is like, oh, I see what's going on. And someone like this brilliantly worked so much of, uh, uh, not all of it out, but he just has an amazing uh, uh, way of teaching narrative analysis. So if I were to attempt to distill what you just said, as far as uh, maybe a helpful principle when I'm reading scripture, is to ask myself the question, what story does this story remind me of? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's good. 